Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada, bringing you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. But maybe this week we should be doing it in some sort of French accent, Sandu, because it really is all about France, Paris, the MMA factory, uh, Fernand Lopez, the head coach over there, has finally gone and won the big one, uh, or the interim big one, because Cyril Garn putting on an absolutely brilliant performance, almost flawless against Derek Lewis on Saturday night at UFC 265. He is now the interim UFC heavyweight champion. And other than the fact that he just won the belt, which is a big deal in and of itself, it sets up one of the most mouthwatering heavyweight matchups that the UFC could put on right now. The backstory is pre-written, but we've seen a man become a star over the course of a very short space of time, Sandu. He's only had 10 professional fights. He's 10-0. and He's the interim heavyweight champion. And he looks like the real deal. Huge, huge coming out party for Bon Gamon on Saturday night. I hope I pronounced that right. Well, first things first, Simon. Bonjour. I hope you're doing well on your side of the pond. Um, yes, Cyril Gan. Bon Gamin uh, is how I've been saying it this entire time, which I've probably butchered it uh, completely. Um, I took French in high school. Uh, didn't really do too well, to be honest with you. It was like one of those classes um, where I would I would sit at the back of the room and just mess around, not pay attention. Uh, didn't do well in French class. Um, but yeah, big, big moment for French MMA this past weekend, Simon. And uh, we can get into the, the, the fight and how it played out and the ramifications and everything. But my biggest takeaway is, you know, every once in a while, Simon, we'll see a fighter enter mixed martial arts or enter the UFC in particular and almost evolve the weight class and there's an evolution happening in front of our eyes and you know I think of Israel Adesanya right who is like the, the best middleweight we have seen pound for pound and he's still the champion he's still you know successfully defending his title but I feel like he took the baton from Anton Silva and he kind of moved the game forward at 185 pounds. I feel like we are now witnessing that with Cyril Gan. He has it all. He's got power. For a guy that's only been fighting professional MMA for, for three years, he feels like he's got incredible intelligence and IQ and awareness inside the cage. He's light on his feet. His footwork is amazing. He's got a great temperament. He was not phased at all by the fact that he was fighting in Derek Lewis's backyard. And the fact that he was trolling him with his walkout song, trolling the audience with his walkout song, his post-fight social media post was, he is okay on Twitter. I mean, this guy has got some balls and he has got charisma. He's got the tools. And I'll tell you what, you mentioned it at the top of the show, Simon. The fact that we've got this mouth-watering prospect of him fighting Francis Ngannou next. Hollywood couldn't script this. Former training partners, former coach, manager, mentor in Fernand Lopez, now bringing up Cyril Gunn to take on his, his former student. And they've both obviously got that French base, you know, Cyril Gunn, you know, from France, born in France. And obviously we know that Francis Ngannou made his way up through Cameroon, slept on the streets of Paris found MMA, changed his entire life. 
just uh, incredible drama, incredible theatre. But that's in the future. Looking back at this past weekend, Simon, what an incredible performance from Cyril Gann. Um, and I know it's an interim title, but you could see what it meant to him and his team to finally hoist that championship up in the air. Yeah, definitely. And and just very quickly, I was the same when it came to French at school, by the way. I used to, just, <laughs> I used to mess about in French and I infuriated my French teacher um, because... She'd say, she'd say, Sai, if, you, if only you would apply yourself, you could be good at that. You know, you could be quite good at this. And I, I never really did. And then it came to like exam time. And she's like, Sai, you're not going to get a very good grade in this. And I walked out and got a B. And no one was more um, surprised than my own teacher who could not believe that I got a B. And to be honest, I didn't know how I got a B either, but I managed to fluke it. And uh, yeah, but I did used to enjoy French lessons. They were always... They were always good fun, but not not because I was learning too much. But um, yeah, I can order a baguette. That's about the limit of my uh, my, my my French vocabulary. But but yeah, in terms of the performance from from Cyril Gunn, I thought it was it was almost punch perfect. When it you think you look at the heavyweight division, you look at heavyweight MMA as a whole. Cyril Gunn does not fight like a heavyweight does. He just he, like he's just, you could imagine him as a as a as a welterweight or a middleweight the way he moves you know what I mean he's 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 up on the balls of his feet he's got that um, almost sort of uh, kickboxing muay thai almost sort of very up very upright bouncing around on his toes and uh, he doesn't fight like a heavyweight and it's really interesting because you look at Derek Lewis and you look at Cyril Garn heading into this fight it was in Derek Lewis's hometown. And it almost felt like the media knew what the narrative for Cyril Garn would be if he won, but they didn't want to go all in on it on the way in. It felt like everyone was kind of holding back a little bit on the fact that this is this could set up something absolutely massive. And then when the result happened, it seemed like the floodgates opened and everybody is all in on this fight. But I think the amount of respect um, that everyone had for Derek going into this in his hometown kind of put put the uh, the handbrake on those conversations a little bit on the way in. I picked Derek to win. I know you picked Cyril. I picked Derek. I thought he'd land the big right hand at some point. And because Cyril is so upright, I just thought that chin is there to be hit. But Derek, Derek barely laid a glove on him. I think the, the official stats said, he, I think he landed like 16 punches in the entire fight. And Cyril landed like, a hun- like 116 or something along those lines. So that is a massive discrepancy in a, in a, in any kind of fight especially in a heavyweight fight and especially in a heavyweight title fight, you know, it's, it's madness, but the performance from Garn was, was, was outstanding. Um, came out completely clean and, you know, he's probably good to go right now, to be honest. And uh, the question now is if you're the UFC, where do you hold this fight? Because I don't think I know in the post fight press coverage, Dana White, you couldn't get the smile off the man's face, could he? I mean, he was absolutely grinning like a Cheshire cat because he said the timing is just perfect. Everything's moving into line. But is it a bit early for Paris? That's my worry. Is it a bit early for Paris? Do they even hold back and look to book that fight early in 2022 when maybe it might be a little bit more open? Because right now we're talking Houston, Texas. We're talking somewhere in Florida. You're talking Vegas or you're talking Fight Island. You're talking Abu Dhabi. They are they are the established locations right now that the UFC knows they can go in and put on an event. So um, we, we'll, we'll talk about 
the potential London show a bit later on in the um, in the podcast. But putting on events overseas right now is very difficult, unless you're going to go to Abu Dhabi where they can just ring fence off an island for you and uh, create a, a massive bubble. So when do you think is is the best time to hold this fight? Because obviously it's got to be in Ghana versus Ghana next. But when and where makes the most sense right now? Because if all if all, um, if all things were possible, we would be talking about the UFC's first show in Paris, France. We'd be holding it um, probably early 2022, maybe February time, to give it a nice long build-up and uh, stack the card and make it a real event. You know, the, the UFC aren't the first promotion to get into France. Bellator had that honour uh, last year. Uh, well, they put on a show in Paris, but this would be absolutely immense. Do you hold on in the hope that you can put the event on in Paris in 2022? Or do you just say, no, we're going to do Abu Dhabi or we're going to do Vegas? What do you think? Well, let's talk about when first, Simon. I feel like this has got end of year, big UFC spectacular blockbuster show written all over it. They announced Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. And the goal right now is still to have that headline MSG. And that's your big November pay-per-view, right? So that out the way, you're looking at a big December pay-per-view. And most likely that's going to be in Las Vegas because that's traditionally where the December pay-per-views have been held, right? Yeah. So when, first of all, I'm thinking December. And like the, the funny thing is, Simon, I think they could, in, in theory, have that fight take place earlier because Francis Ngannou, he's good to go. Right, he could he could throw in a camp right now. He's good to go. Cyril Gann has come out of Saturday's fight with Derek Lewis completely unscathed, hasn't got a scratch on him, right? Um, but like you said, I feel like they're going to really build this up. They're going to let Cyril Gann do his rounds in the media, you know, hold that interim UFC heavyweight championship around France, and I'm sure that they still the UFC I'm talking about still need to figure out some, I guess, behind the scenes. Uh, relationship management with Francis Ngannou and his team and camp. And so I think, you know, it's clear that the relationship is a little bit rocky at the moment. You know, Francis Ngannou is kind of tweeting things and then the media is getting a response from Dana White. They're not really talking to, you know, to each other. They're kind of talking uh, at each other via the media. So that's something that's very interesting to pay attention to. But yeah, Simon, wouldn't it be an absolute travesty if this fight wasn't taking place in Paris, France? I mean, honestly, the magnitude of the baddest man on the planet, the UFC heavyweight championship, returning to Paris, this, you know, the place where he stepped on the streets to take on this French phenom. I mean, that's something I feel like, you know, and maybe I'm, you know, a little bit crazy here, but given the right promotion and given the right undercard, that could be a stadium show. That could do Stade de France or something like that, I think. You know, maybe scale down or something. But I feel like when GSP came to Toronto and did the Rogers Centre and, you know, we've seen some other stadium shows take place, why not? You know, and if, and if you can't do it with these two lads in Paris, France, then where else could you do it? But I've got to stop dreaming because I feel like the world that we're living in, Simon, and you've got various variants of the covid uh, coronavirus um, spreading all over the place and you know it's not looking good at the moment I think if we've been brutally honest and realistic with the current situation of the world and on where the UFC is headed 
like you said, Simon, it's Abu Dhabi, it's Florida, it's Texas, and it's Vegas. And I feel like if they're going to do something with these two lads, most likely it's going to be at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. And if, if we're being honest with ourselves, when you look at the history of heavyweight championships, uh, both in boxing and in the UFC, when you're talking about big hitters, knockout power, spectacular moments, there's no better place in the fight capital of the world. So, yeah, in an ideal world, Simon, this is a fight that should be headlining an arena or a stadium in Paris, France. But in my opinion, I think this is going to be held in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, the thought of sticking an octagon in uh, the Parc de France, for example, um, where uh, PSG play their, play their home games, you know, that that would be pretty amazing. Um, but I just think... I think we're not quite there yet, are we? I think looking at the way the world is right now, we're not quite there yet. And I think at the moment, things seem to be trending in the direction of things being tightened up rather than eased up. I think there's been a sudden rush to throw the doors open everywhere. And I think with the variant, the Delta variant kicking in and uh, people being perhaps a little bit gung-ho, things are starting to starting to uh, rise up again in terms of case numbers and things like that. So... I think we're going to see things start to start to be uh, locked down. Not not completely locked down, but maybe tightened up a little bit. So we might have to wait a little bit on this side of the pond before we start getting some big shows over here, more of which later on in the show. But that's a fight that has to happen. It makes sense to do Vegas for one reason is, is the logistics of it. Francis Ngannou is already in Vegas. That's one less person you've got to move around and one less set of people that you've got to move around. So... Um, if you if you're doing Abu Dhabi, you've got to cart everybody out there. Although the UFC may may owe Abu Dhabi a really big title fight, you know they might, you know they they've done a lot for the UFC. This might be the fight that they give them. So who knows? Um, but yeah, I like the idea of a December show. And if it is a December show, you would imagine it would be it would be Las Vegas. But we will see. I'm absolutely uh, absolutely. Uh, Mouth or salivating almost at the prospect of Nganu, not not the most polished heavyweight on the planet, but without doubt the most destructive against Garn, who is arguably the most technically proficient heavyweight we've seen in the UFC for some time. Um, it's going to be a real clash of styles. Two guys who know each other well, they've sparred each other, they've trained together. Um, so I'm really fascinated to see what comes out between those two as we lead up to the, the inevitable clash, how well did they get on? What is the state of their relationship now? I know Nganu and uh, his, his then manager and coach, Fernand Lopez, had the parting of the ways, and then he's gone over to Vegas to train at Extreme Couture. What's that relationship like? Is there one, you know? So I'm fascinated to learn all of this because I think we're going to have a good few months of this between now and whenever that fight takes place. So, Garn versus Lewis for all the marbles at heavyweight. Sorry, Garn versus Lewis. Garn versus uh, Nganu for all the marbles at heavyweight is going to be absolutely massive. Um, but that wasn't the only talking point on Fight Night. We had so many good fights on that card on Saturday night. The co-main event, Jose Aldo, the man has still got it. And um, Sean Alshati from um, MMA Fighting put out uh, an old article of his. He just uh, tweeted it out again um, before Fight Night which is a superb piece. I urge you to read it if you haven't already, uh, that you wrote years ago where a load of Aldo's past opponents uh, described what it was like to be in the cage with uh, the then UFC featherweight champion of the world. And 
people were beginning to wonder, is he on the downslide of his career? Have we seen the best of him? Can he really do it at the very top level? Especially now that he's boiled himself down to 135 pounds. I remember when he first did it. And I was there in Vegas when he did uh, a media day and he sat on a stall and he had the hood on and he looked like a miniature version of the emperor from, uh, from star Wars. Like he looked, he looked an absolute mess. And I'm like, there is no way that man can fight. There is no, there's no way he's going to be in any way competitive or durable at 135 pounds. What the hell did I know? Right. So he's gone on, he's, he's managed to make 135 35 pounds work for him. And he goes in there with a power striker in Pedro Munoz, who is an all action fighter. He lands big, heavy shots, very active, throws lots of shots and uh, just outstruck him, outstruck him over three rounds. Looked really good. We started to see the leg kicks gradually work their way back in. I think he was a bit hesitant to throw them early. Then by the end, he was throwing them and mixing them in beautifully. He was checking kicks like it was no problem whatsoever. And uh, the way he was putting his punches together, it was it was vintage Aldo. And uh, the only thing missing was the the, uh, the stoppage finish. Really, I thought it was that's as good as we've seen from him for a long, long time. And uh, I'm fascinated to see what the UFC does with him next. I think he suggested that TJ Dillashaw might not be a bad match for him next. Take my money now. I would love to see that fight. TJ Dillashaw versus Jose Aldo, two former world champions uh, going head to head. And it makes sense for the division. I'd like to see that. I think that would be a great one. What do you reckon? Sign me up. I love that idea. I know that TJ Dillashaw is a little bit banged up um, following his fight. And I think he's got some issues with his knee. So who knows when he'll be back. Jose Aldo, I feel like, much like Cyril Gann, has come out of the this past weekend fairly unscathed. So um, I'd love to see him back sooner rather than later as well. But Simon, you know, first of all, yeah, feel-good moment of the night. You do said it, Simon. Vintage Jose Aldo. But I think the big story here is I feel like when he moved down to 135, if everything just felt rushed. You know, everything felt so rushed. He was getting used to a brand new weight class. He lost a split decision to Marlon Marais. And then the UFC decided to throw him into a championship fight with Peter Yan. I mean, come on. And, 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 and now you're seeing him, you know, he, he, so he loses twice. He loses back-to-back fights in a brand new weight class, right? And and the big loss was to Peter Yan, where he got finished, right? Peter Yan arguably is the king without his crown right now, uh, 135 pounds. And then what, then what happens, Simon? Jose Aldo actually starts to get used to the weight class. And now we start to see some performances. He beats Marlon Vera. He beats Pedro Munoz. Right. And these are three round fights. You know, I reckon if we'd saw a fourth and fifth round this past weekend, he may have finished Pedro Munoz. And I think now we're starting to see, you know, the real Jose Aldo in this new weight class, because I feel like he's got back to back wins. He's got his mojo going. He's got some momentum. He's got his confidence back. And now I think is the right time to put him in there with someone like a TJ Dillashaw or a Corey Sanhagen or someone that's legitimately in the top three or four and maybe put him in a five round fight, maybe have him headline a fight night card and see where he's at at 135 pounds against, you know, you know, an elite top contender. Maybe it could be a number one contender fight or something like that. Um, And yeah. And then see if, you know, he can really, you know, turn back the clock and really make a push for it. 
and then try and get another championship. I feel like if you can put him into a situation with someone like TJ Dillashaw and he can win, he's, he, he, I'm happy for him to fight for the title once again. I really don't mind. And um, yeah, it was great to see him put on another cl classic Jose Aldo performance, measured, like... He's not throwing as much kick, leg kicks as he used to earlier in his career, but I feel like his boxing is better. I feel like his distance management, even the way he's checking his leg kicks, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. And, you know, it was nice to see Conor McGregor throw out the, the tweet, paying respect to his former rival and foe, saying that Jose Aldo is a true legend. You, you see the adulation that fellow fighters give him, members of the media and the fans. Jose Aldo is one of the most beloved fighters in mixed martial arts. And the fact that he's been fighting for so long has already climbed the top of the mountain once before. And he's now trying to do it again in a, in a different weight class. You just got to take your hat off to him. Um, so, yeah, bring on a TJ Dillashaw fight. Bring on a Corey Sandhagen fight. Give me Jose Aldo versus a top guy at 135 pounds on a five-round fight. And I'll watch that all day long. Yeah, 34 years of age, but you almost think he must be older than that because he's been around for so long, right? He was he was the inaugural champion at featherweight in the UFC. He was the WEC champ. When they introduced the featherweight belt into the UFC, he basically moved across, became the featherweight champ, and I think he had like nine straight title defenses. Um if you if you put all of them all of them together. Um unbelievable talent. It's funny you mentioned Conor McGregor actually. I was sitting there just before the fight started, and I thought, this is a 50-50 fight. Pedro Munoz has never been finished, right? So I, f I felt relatively confident that the fight was going to go to the to, to, to the scorecards. And I knew that Munoz was a high-output striker. So I thought there was a really good chance that Munoz could potentially beat Aldo unless Aldo was really on it. And turned out Aldo was really on it on fight night. But the thing I, I thought going in was, if Aldo loses, where does he go from here? Who does he fight next? And it, it part of me thought, do you know what? This wouldn't be the worst time for him to fight Conor McGregor again. I know that sounds mad because he's fighting at 135 pounds. But if he could move back up to 155 and fight comfortably at 155, obviously, yeah, he had a career at 45, but there was a there was a time when it looked like Aldo was going to move up from 45 to 55. He never did um, and make a run at lightweight, but yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor's running out of viable opponents. And I thought, if Jose Aldo loses this fight, maybe that isn't the worst worst matchup in the world, Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo too. Both guys don't really have too much to, to sort of go for other than a fight of real note. So I thought that might be an interesting one. I'm not thinking about that fight anymore. <laughs> Jose Aldo is a world championship contender without any shadow of a doubt. He lost those first two fights. You, you, you put it perfectly. Too much too soon, wasn't it? 135, you know? Um, I remember when, I think when Frankie Edgar first moved down, he, he struggled. Um, but um, Jose Aldo is is a big, big 135-pounder. I mean, you can see the size difference in on, on fight night with uh, with Pedro Munoz, who is a natural bantamweight. So, um, you know, I think he, he has now found, found the right the right mix in order to make sure that he isn't just making the weight, but he's, he's replenished and he's healthy and he's sharp on fighting the speed of his combinations, even in the third round. In fact, the third round was probably his best round of the fight, which was, which was possibly the, you know, the biggest takeaway of all, 
He's cutting down to 35, but he looks outstanding in the third round and the speed and accuracy at which he was getting his combinations off. That tells me that if you put him in a five rounder, then there's no reason why he can't carry that on. You know, he always looked really good in five rounders as, as the 45 champion. So maybe this is now the time. TJ Dillashaw is the, is, is the best marquee matchup you can give him. You mentioned Corey Sanhagen. Another option is Rob Font. Rob Font is kind of the kind of the quiet man of that that top bracket in the bantamweight division. Doesn't get anywhere near the credit that the man deserves for his performances. He's in the mix. He needs a big fight. Um, so Rob Font needs a big fight next. Maybe Jose Aldo might be an option for him. So who knows? But Aldo's next fight, I would imagine if he wins it, he'll be in for the belt after that. So um, big, big win for Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo Jr. against Pedro Munoz. Uh, he wasn't the only Brazilian winner on the card because leading in to that fight, we'd just come off the back of uh, a welterweight contest between Vicente Luque and Michael Chiesa. And we laid this one out on uh, last week's show. It was very much a case of someone whose who's base is very soundly in grappling against a guy whose base is very soundly in striking. And it was a case of, if it goes to the mat, this is Michael Chiesa's win. If he, if he goes into stand-up, this is Vicente Luque's fight to win. And uh, I pick Luque. You pick Chiesa. I don't think either of us thought that Vicente Luque would win by submission. But there we go. He did. Um, second time in two fights, he wins by Dash Choke. He did it to Tyron Woodley. And now he's done it again to Michael Chiesa. And to me, this tells anybody who had any doubt that Vicente Luque is a legit contender. The only thing that counts against him, or the two things that count against him are, A, he's got a loss to Leon Edwards on his record. And Leon Edwards is still standing there waiting for his title shot. Um, and the other thing, of course, is uh, he isn't the biggest name. And he's an incredibly dangerous fighter. He's good everywhere, as we've, as we've seen. So um, I would expect him to have to fight somebody soon uh, before he gets another crack at the title. But it's tricky. It's tricky because I think Gilbert Burns is from the same team as him. Uh, I think Gilbert Burns may even have been drilling submissions with him uh, in the lead up to that fight. If you were taking team allegiances out of it, that's a hell of a matchup. Luke versus Burns. Um, but I would imagine they would look to steer clear of that if at all possible. But it's congested at the top of that 170 pound division, Sandu. I mean, trying to matchmake, and I know we are the Brit pack and we are very much. Uh, of the view that Leon Edwards has done more than enough to deserve his shot at the belt. But how on earth do we make sense of this? Because rather than rather than questions being answered, it's like there's more questions being thrown into the mix because Luke goes and gets a win. He's a contender and he calls out Kamara Usman in his post-fight interview, which I thought was a very smart thing to do. Um, and Usman responded to him saying that he expects he'll see him soon. So, I mean... Pfft. I don't know. I think they need to book a welterweight main card and just sort some of this stuff out. Put them all on the same timeline. Let's get them all up and running. Let's get some winners and losers and try and whittle this thing down because it's it's a right old mess at the top of 70 division right now. Yeah, the smart thing he did was call out Kamaru Usman because when, when a fighter coming off a performance like that on a pay-per-view main card calls out the champion all of a sudden, especially with his track record and the, and the win streak he's put together, all of a sudden, the narrative is he is on that level. The narrative is he is worthy to be fighting the champion now. Even though we all know Colby is going to be fighting Kamaru Usman next, even though we all know that Leon Edwards is the most deserved 
title challenger right now, just given his win streak and, and how many um, fights he's had and since he lost to Kamaru Usman and the momentum he's built up and, and all the rest of it. And first of all, an incredible performance against Michael Chiesa. It was just like such a fascinating scramble on the ground. It was everything that you want to see from two, you know, I wouldn't really call Michael Chiesa like a big time grappler or submission specialist, like someone like a Gilbert Burns or a Vicente Luque, but he can definitely hold his own. Um, but I felt, I always felt like that was going to be the one area where he might be in trouble. And he decided to go to the ground. His submission attempts didn't pay off. Luque's did. Credit to Luque. And um, wow, man, you know, he, he, he gives Michael Chiesa his first loss at welterweight. M- Michael Chiesa himself has been on this incredible run. I give credit to him for putting out a social media post, basically saying that mentally he just wasn't ready. Mentally he wasn't there. Um, so, you know, he's got some things to work on. Um, before he makes a comeback, because physically he said he was in the best shape of his life, so he wasn't coming in carrying any injuries or anything like that. And he kind of gave you know Vincente Luque all the credit in the world, and, and rightly so. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it, Simon? Because you'd think that the Gilbert Burns fight would make sense, but you're right, they're from the same team, but they're also managed by Dominance MMA, right? And Kamaru Usman is also managed by Dominance MMA, and I feel like agents and managers and management teams want to try and keep their clientele well away from each other as, as, as much as possible, unless, of course, there's a title on the line. We saw what happened where it got a little bit testy between Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman when they fought earlier in the year. Um, they obviously mended things and had a, a mutual respect for each other after the fact. But I don't know, Simon. Like I feel like outside of Colby Covington, like you know, with a Brit pack, we, we want to see Leon Edwards get his shot. We don't even think that he should be fighting another, you know, top five guy right now to earn, quote unquote, a title shot. But if he has to, then it's got to be someone like Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luque. Me personally, Simon, maybe Vicente Luque can run it back with Stephen Thompson. You know, if you're looking back at his recent record over the last six years, that's the one loss um, that he's got on his record. It was against Stephen Thompson. It was a decision. Stephen Thompson is someone that still wants to compete at a welterweight. He needs a fight as well. Um, so that would make, I guess, some sense and keep Vicente Luque busy. But you're right. You know, you've got all these contenders snapping away at the top end of this division, and it's a bit log jammed. And you know, I think that Col- you know, Colby Covington fight can't come soon enough. Um, because we've got to start to get things rolling and moving here because we've got legitimate contenders that should be fighting for a title and they're just kind of sitting on the bench right now. So interesting to see how this all plays out. But the main thing is, is Vicente Luque done his job. He got a finish, pay-per-view main card, called out the champion, job done. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he can't have done any more. And the welterweight championship picture, I mean... Dana White, I think, was asked about Leon Edwards in, in the press conference and he said, you know, he's fought like once in two years or something, I think he said, and said, uh, and said, you know, it would make sense for him to to keep fighting. But he's given a title fight to Colby Covington, who's fought once since he got knocked out by Kamara Usman in December 2019. So, you know, it, it, it sort of suits him when he's saying, saying it about one fighter, but then he's already booked another fighter who's been 
no more active in into a title rematch. So it all is a bit strange. And looking at the state of the welterweight division, if we take the view that Leon is going to have to fight again before he gets a shot, and Vicente Luque is deserving of a fight that could get him into title contention, then I think if you're Leon Edwards right now, I mean, you could face Luque again, but that doesn't really do anything for his position because Luque is currently ranked sixth. Leon's ranked third. Leon, I think, has to fight Gilbert Burns at this stage. I think if he's not fighting for the belt, I think Gilbert Burns is the only fight that makes sense for him because Gilbert is, is the only guy ranked above him who's not in a title fight right now. So uh, if he goes in and beats Burns, there really is no nowhere else for him to go but into a title fight. If you're Vicente Luque, then, uh, yeah, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight is the next highest ranked fight that he could have. He's just beaten Chiesa, who's ranked five. I'm guessing that they will eventually swap in the UFC rankings. So maybe by the time you listen to this, um, he may be ranked fifth with Chiesa dropping to sixth. And then the next man up is Wonderboy Thompson. So as you say, Sandro, I think that might make the most sense as well, especially as Luke and Burns are unlikely to face each other. So um, I think get Leon and Gilbert Burns booked as soon as possible. I would love to see Leon straight in there fighting for the belt right now, but it looks as if he's going to have to jump through each and every hoop the UFC put in front of him in order to get that title shot. And uh, yeah, it's good to see a bit of respect being put on uh, Luke's name as well. Uh, he's been one of my favorite fighters to watch for a good a good while now and um, did the business on Saturday night, albeit not in the way that many people were predicting. Um, talking to people doing something in a way that not many people were predicting, Tisha Torres beat Angela Hill uh, in their in their rematch. Uh, unanimous decision win, as women's strawweights fights often are. They quite often go the distance. Uh, if you're a betting a betting uh, aficionado, then you you will already know that betting the over on the rounds with the women's strawweight fights tends to be a good route to profit. And uh, Tisha Torres got the unanimous decision win, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. But it wasn't the fact that she won, and it wasn't the fact that she won with those scores. It was the manner in which she did it. When she beat Angela Hill in their first matchup years ago, she basically just out-wrestled Angela Hill, who was an out-and-out striker at the time. And uh, Tisha just just used her wrestling, pushed her up against occasion, dominated her with, her with her physical strength and with her wrestling skills. She almost exclusively abandoned her wrestling and just went straight out for the striking and looked phenomenal. Like the the array of shots that she was just, just letting fly. Loads of spinning kicks, loads of side-turning side kicks to the body. Uh, Really impressed with Tisha Torres. Uh, Angela Hill is a, is a good, good fighter and uh, stayed in there till the end and had some successes of her own. But I thought Tisha Torres looks absolutely brilliant and she needs a big fight now. I think she really does. You know, she's her only losses, I think, have come to world championship caliber opposition. I think she deserves another another shot against that level of opposition next. So uh, I thought that was a really big win for for the Tiny Tornado. Really impressed. Yeah, Simon, you talk about the losses that she's had to championship caliber opposition. Here are her losses in in entire UFC run. Rose Namajunas, champion. Jessica Andraj, champion. Joanna Janjacek, champion. Young Wei Li, champion. And Marina Rodriguez is the only one on that list um, that isn't. Uh, or you know a current or former UFC champion, but credit to credit to her Simon. Literally over the course of the last twelve months, it started in June of last year. 
she's put together this three fight win streak coming off of a four fight losing streak so something's changed she's fine-tuned she's kind of i guess um figured out uh, you know a, a next level of her of a i guess fight career and you know, something's happened. Maybe it's a level of competition. Who knows? Maybe dropping down and building back up again was the right way for her to kind of get back her mojo. But Brianna Van Buren, Sam Hughes, and now Angela Hill. Angela Hill being um, the big win on her most recent run. And I agree with you, Simon. I think a big fight is in order for the Tiny Tornado. And let's see if you can kind of, you know, crack on from here. Maybe put together a few more wins and and you know challenge for a ufc championship um one more time because look you know tisha Torres right now she's ranked number 10 simon so ahead of her you've got michelle waterson claudia gadella nina nunez mackenzie dern marina rodriguez who she's lost to jean jao nan carla esparza so there's definitely a few names there um that i think you know would make sense for her um but again you know like we've talked about simon pay-per-view main cards this is where you have to perform get results and get wins um, because that then catapults you into a better situation moving forward yeah i mean from a stylistic point of view a rematch with michelle waterson would be a lot of fun um they've both got that that striking uh striking style that i think with the way tisha fought at the weekend against michelle waterson with the way that she comes forward and loves to throw that would be a really good fight they fought a few years ago, and uh, Tisha Torres got the win uh, on the scorecards back then. That was back in 2017 at UFC 218. Um, it's a it's a matchup that, looking at the rankings, kind of makes sense right now. So, uh, but beyond that, you know, there's 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 loads of loads of potential matchups ahead of her. Um, Claudia Gadella is a is, is a matchup that could be doable. Nina Nunes at some point when she's back in the mix again, that might be worth a look. And uh, we talked about Marina Rodriguez. She's probably looking up the rankings, but who knows? Maybe there's a rematch there, um, an opportunity for her to kind of avenge that defeat, which was her most recent one. So, um, but things are looking up for uh, for Tisha Torres, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with her next. Um, that was the second fight on the main card on Saturday night. The first fight was a, was a thoroughly entertaining bantamweight scrap: Song Yudong defeating Casey Kenny by split decision, uh, 28-29, 29-28. 30-27. Really impressed. I thought Song did really, really well in that fight. I just thought he he outstruck Kenny. Kenny was kind of chasing him for a lot of that fight. Um, I was a little bit surprised when it was announced as a split decision. I didn't think there was too much doubt over who won that fight. Uh, although Kenny seemed pretty convinced when they lined up for the decision that he got the job done. But to me, it looked like a pretty clear win. Uh, I actually gave all three rounds to, uh, to Song Yudong in that fight. But Good competitive fight and a great fight for the division. And we say it every time the bantamweights are in action, it is the best division in the UFC. And there's so much depth, and we saw that with that fight on Saturday. Yeah, bantamweight just delivers, Simon. If there's a bantamweight fight on a card, it's must-watch. You have to pay attention. Uh, I don't know how this happened, or you know, maybe it's because the UFC have started to really you know, gather some of the best talent in the world um, amongst their ranks and you know, as a part of their roster. And I think that's been fused with the fact that, you know, these guys are just producing the best fights. Every time there's a, you know, either a fight of the night, you know, debate or a conversation, there's usually a bantamweight fight that's in the mix for there. But um, yeah, I feel like Song De Young, you know, as good as he was on Saturday, Simon, and and as and as decent as he's been on his UFC run, 
just the one loss since he entered uh, the, the top promotion in mixed martial arts finishes. You know, I want to see some more finishes. And I feel like, you know, if he can finish a few more fights, make some statements, that's when people will start to pay attention and, and remember him more moving forward. Um, especially when you start to think about uh, who is in the mix at 135 pounds, who is someone I need to be watching, who is, you know, someone that is vying um, for those top spots in that in that division. So good performance. Obviously, it's always important to get the result. But moving forward, I'd, I'd love, love to see him get some finishes. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, he's he's clearly he's clearly on the right path. And I think if he can just add a few finishes to his game, then I think he's gonna he's gonna really catch the attention uh, of, of of the the fan base and uh, of the matchmakers as well, who might give him even bigger opportunities. I mean, he's made, he's moving in the right direction though. Here's a here's a hypothetical question or a rhetorical question because it's going to lead into the fight that I'm going to talk about. Is there a better fighter? in the UFC that doesn't have a number next to his name than Rafael Fiziev. He is outstanding. He is so much fun to watch. Uh, I think he's the head striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai. And boy, can you see why? That man is, is just an absolute walking highlight reel. He's got every strike in the book. He's got granite for a chin. And he the man just does not care. He just walks forward throwing dynamite through with his hands and his feet and uh he went in there with bobby green on saturday night in what was the featured preliminary card bout and uh all credit to bobby green because it takes two to tango in these fights they served up the fight of the night they deserved every cent of their fifty thousand dollar bonus uh and it was uh rafael fiziev who got the win 30 27 29 28 29 28 i think 29 28 was right i thought bobby green won the last round um but what a fight brilliant performance and uh surely surely ataman as his nickname is needs to be given a rank fighter in his next fight the guy i want to see him fight is the one guy he probably won't end up fighting and that's brad riddell um i think stylistically brad riddell uh former kickboxer great striker of his own of his own uh, class taking on fiziev would be an incredible fight the reason why that probably won't happen, they both have those Tiger Muay Thai connections. Brad Riddell uh, trains out of there as well as City Kickboxing. Um, so I would imagine they'll probably uh, rather be kept apart. But if they did book that fight, guaranteed fireworks. That would be an absolute banger. But at 155 pounds, Sandu, options are everywhere. You can have whoever you like. Take your pick. Anyone ranked 10 and below for Rafael Fiziev would be a superb matchup and uh, I think he deserves it. I think he deserves it. He's on a, he's on a nice little win streak. Now that's four in a row. Uh, only one knockout, perhaps surprisingly uh, in those four fights, but every single one of those fights has entertained and each of his last three have banked him an extra $50,000 bonus. So uh, he's doing all right now. I think he needs that push, but um, super, super impressed with Rafael Fiziev. Simon, you know what wasn't on my bingo card? It was Rafael Fiziev calling out Hasbulla in his post-fight interview with Daniel Cormier. And I tell you what, what was not also on my bingo card was that being the most viral clip from UFC 265. Think about the names on the card. Think about some of the performances we got. Think about some of the finishes that mm. we got from this card. Rafael Fiziev, or sorry, Rafael Fiziev, 
calling out Hasbullah just on the BT Sport UFC Twitter account. That video has got a million views. That's mad. Think about all the other broadcast partners and all the other accounts that posted or reposted or uh, got that clip out in one way, shape or form on, on social media. Mate, it went viral. It was like the most retweeted um, post from uh, the Fight Night card. I, I was just seeing the numbers clock in. I couldn't believe it. Um, so outside of obviously having an absolute cracker of a fight with Bobby Green, getting the win, you know, he he is a, very self-aware and understands our fight community and what's happening in terms of, you know, pop culture within the fight world and, uh, credit to him for taking the opportunity because look, like you said, he doesn't have an, uh, a, a number next to his name. Him calling out the champion or any of the top five guys isn't really going to do anything. So what does he do? He calls out Hasbullah and all of a sudden it's like what everyone's talking about. It's a bit of a laugh. It's a good crack and uh, it adds a bit of personality to Rafael Fazil. So all in all, it was a home run of a performance both in the cage and on the mic. Uh, after the fact as well did you did you get the uh the the wording of what he was saying as well he it was kind of slightly broken english but he yeah. was trying to it was a bit of a throwback to the nate diaz you've taken everything i work for he was yes. going for that he didn't quite nail it because obviously you know he was buzzing and all the rest of it from from his win but that's what he was trying to do he was trying to he's trying to uh, mimic the whole the whole Nate Diaz call out. So uh, of, of, of Conor McGregor, that famous, you've taken everything I work for, you MFA um, call out on Fox back in the day. But uh, yeah, outstanding, outstanding. So I don't know if Hasbuller has issued any kind of uh, uh, Instagram based response yet, but I'm sure if he hasn't, we'll be getting that in the coming days. He's been kind of a breakout star over the last year. I don't even know where he came from. I just started seeing these clips of this, of what looked like a small child, and it turns out that it's not a small child. It's it, it's uh, it's 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 this guy called Hasbulla, and um, you know he's, he's he's become a bit of a, a cult hero on social media, and now he's getting called out during uh, the final fight of a UFC preliminary card before a big pay per view. Um, you know, all good news for him as well. But yeah, great performance in in the cage from uh, from from uh, Fiziev. Great performance on the mic. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He needs to be on a main card next, or maybe even in a like a co-main slot on a fight night. I think he needs that kind of push next. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where he goes next. But that was that 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 was probably the one fight that I was looking forward to the most. And I include the main card fights in that. That was the one that I thought that that's going to be fight of the night. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch because Bobby Green always brings it. And uh, he certainly didn't disappoint with his performance. But uh, there are good fights up and down the card. What else stood out to you of, of the undercard fights that we haven't spoken about, Sandu? Because, I mean, the night started off, it was just like a feast of finishes, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, the feel-good moment from the prelims, you know, was probably Jessica Penne. So, I mean, obviously, going through what she's been through, losses, their three-fight losing streak, a USADA suspension... Uh, she came back in April of this year and got a split decision win over Lapita Godinez. Then she walks out, you know, in front of fans for the first time in God knows how long. And we're probably seeing this a little bit more now with a lot of fighters who competed during the pandemic um, that weren't able to compete with fighters. But 
you could just see the emotion um, as she made that walk, you know, competing against Karolina Kowalkiewicz. And then she gets a first round finish. And immediately you could just see her kind of smiling, taking in the moment. It took her a while to uh, gain her composure uh, when she was talking to Daniel Cormier. Um, so, yeah, just uh, I thought that was a real outside of Jose Aldo, Jessica Penne um, picking up that win against a really formidable opponent in uh, Karina Kowalkiewicz uh, was a feel good moment for me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other person I wanted to shout out was Miles Johns. I thought Miles Johns was the star performer of the preliminary card as a whole. I thought he was absolutely superb. Another bantamweight, Sandu. We keep saying it. But uh, Miles Johns uh, walked out um, just sort of shouting to himself, I'm the champ. I'm the champ. And just walking to the cage, sort of taking a page out of Rose Nami Yunus's book, walked to the cage against Anderson Dos Santos, dismantled him uh, with leg kicks through the first two rounds. Really smartly done. Absolutely hammered him with leg kicks. And then in the third round, knocked him out with probably the best highlight reel finish of the night. Um, really, really impressive performance from Miles Johns, who uh, in, a, in a stacked division is looking to make his way up. That's back-to-back third-round knockouts. Uh, so if you get through the first two rounds against Miles Johns, you are by no means out of the woods. Kevin Natividad got knocked out in the third round uh, back in October last year in Las Vegas. And then Anderson Dos Santos got the same treatment on Saturday night at UFC 265. He's 12-1, and and, uh, he looks looks very, very good. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with him. Again, options galore at £135. There's no massive rush. They can just build him up gradually. There are good fights everywhere you turn in the UFC bantamweight division. So uh, he's definitely one to keep an eye out for. Uh, probably towards the back end of this year if he wants to squeeze another fight in, if not early in 2022. All of the uh, Fight Pass prelims delivered finishes. Anybody out there hasn't got UFC Fight Pass, you think, yeah, it's just the early prelims. You know, I'll watch the big fights. You get finishes on those early prelims. Johnny Munoz with a submission kicked off the night. Melissa Gatto on a debut. Uh, TKO, uh, Victoria Leonardo. Miles Johns, as we just said knocked out uh, Anderson Dos Santos and uh, former rising champ Manel Cap uh, knocking out uh, Odie Osborne with a flying knee um, in the first round, calling for a bonus and getting all excited and Daniel Cormier having to calm him down and tell him, you miss weight, Manel, you're not getting a bonus because <laughs> uh, he tipped the scales at £129 instead of uh, the 126 that he needed to be uh, on, on weight. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of comical. Dad, Daniel Cormier saying, you're not getting a bonus, Manel. It's not happening. But um, what he did get was a very important win because his UFC career hasn't really caught fire yet. Now he's off and running. So all in all, bloody good card, I thought. I thought, all, you know, we had a lot of decisions as the night went on, but all good competitive fights, all good stuff to watch. There weren't too many pee break fights there. You know what I mean? The sort of ones you think, yeah, I, you know, I won't watch that one. Everything delivered, really, and it was a really good night of fights. It wasn't the most star-studded uh, of UFC pay-per-views. Obviously, we were supposed to have Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena in the co-main event. We missed out on that due to uh, the Nunes family en masse testing positive for, for COVID uh, a week or two ago. Hopefully, we'll see that towards the end of this year. But uh, really good fight night, really good fight night, or pay-per-view, rather. And, uh, yeah, on to the next. But we've got a bit of a week off 
no UFC event this coming weekend, but lots to talk about because there is other MMA to be had. But um, Sandra, you got a bit of news uh, about an upcoming UFC event. It's kind of good news, bad news, really, for us on this side of the pond, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So Darren Till, he is going to be fighting Derek Brunson. That's the fight. And we know it's going to be taking place on Saturday, September 4th. But we still don't have a location, but all signs are, you know, I guess, pointing to the fact that this is going to be held in Las Vegas. And there were some rumors and some reports about potentially this fight being held in London. We saw the announcement of Bellator saying that they're going to be coming back to London with Douglas Lima versus Michael Venom Page 2. So I think that then, you know, caught everyone's imagination. Well, if Bellator coming back, so are the UFC. Not to be. We referenced it earlier in the show. It looks like the best way for the UFC to maintain control over the production of their shows and keep their athletes as safe as possible is to be holding these fight night cards at the apex and they're only really going to venture to markets like florida or texas or abu dhabi when they're going to be holding these pay-per-view cards um so it's still not completely confirmed that it's going to be held in vegas but that's where everyone assumes it'll take place but more importantly simon darren till was fighting again you know he needs to fight he needs to win you can't keep you know your personality out there via social media you're a fighter in your prime um you know i feel i still feel like he's only a couple of wins away um you know from fighting for that middleweight championship more in so that because israel adesanya wants to give darren till that opportunity israel adesanya knows that a championship fight with darren till would be fun it would generate buzz they'd promote the hell out of it together um and so all Darren Till needs to do, Simon, is, is get a win. And he's got a tough customer in Derek Brunson, who's in some top form right now as well. Yeah, and you take a look at the fight card, because most of this fight card is booked, and it screams London. <laughs> it, it, it screams uh, a European fight night card. You've got Brunson and Till is the main event. It looks like the co-main event will be a light heavyweight bout. Paul Craig of Scotland against Alexander Gustafsson, uh, former two-time or three-time, I think, title challenger. So um, that that's a huge fight for uh, the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. Jack Shaw versus Saeed Namagomedov. That'll be decent. Magomed Ankalaev, uh, who I'm very high on at 205 pounds, against Vulcan Ozdemir. That's a banger at 205. Uh, Charles Jourdain versus Lerone Murphy. That will be an outstanding technical matchup at 145. Khalil Roundtree versus Modestus Bukowskis, the former Cage Warriors champion. Uh, I think Nathaniel Wood is off the card. I think he broke his hand in sparring or in training this past week. So his bout with Jonathan Martinez is probably going to be removed from that card. Molly McCann is in action on that card against Ji Young Kim. Uh, Paddy Pimlet is due for his UFC debut. Paddy Pimlet should not be making his UFC debut at the UFC Apex, should he? He should be doing it in front of a big crowd with everyone going bananas. But it looks like we're probably going to see Paddy Pimlet making his walk in a virtually empty uh, or sparsely populated UFC Apex against Luigi Vendramini. Uh, Marc-Andre Barrio versus Doucher Lundjambula. Germany's David Zavada against Sergei Kandozo of Russia. Mandy Bohm against Ariane Lipsky. And Alex Perez versus Matt, Sh- Matt Schnell. 
they are the bouts currently listed for that fight night card. Um, we pretty, pretty sure was going to be uh, at the O2 and uh, it looks very much as if that's off. And it's really unclear as to what the UFC are going to do in terms of hosting a show in the UK. The way Dana White's talking, I think he knows where he can go. He knows where he's he's got the setup that works, where he's got the government backing to hold the shows. And I think he's just going to stick with that until things open up. So he's got Florida, he's got Texas, he's got Vegas, and he's got Fight Island. And maybe, potentially, there's New York, although there are quite a few restrictions with regard to uh, access for whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. I think there are things coming in uh, in New York that may slow things down or maybe even stop things from happening uh, in New York. So London might not happen. So we've just got to cross our fingers speaking as a as a british based reporter and as a you know on, on on behalf of uk fans if you like we've all got we've all got to cross our fingers that that bellator are still going to be okay and that they can get um douglas lima over to the uk in good time so that we can get douglas lima versus mvp2 on october the 1st because uh we're not doesn't look like we're going to get the ufc possibly until next year um it's not looking particularly uh, positive for a ufc show this year i'd love to be proved wrong but th- things seem to be trending uh, otherwise so uh but yeah till versus brunson though sandu just to go back to that main event it's a it's, it's one of those fights it's almost like a trap fight isn't it because i think a lot of people would think that if till's a legit contender he's going to beat Derek brunson but Derek brunson is no mug and you know he he ended the sort of the hype train of uh, Edmund Shabazian, you know, he, he did a great job against him and uh, he's not, he's not to be messed with. He's not to be overlooked and Darren Till will need to be at his best to, uh, to get past Derek Brunson. So uh, if he gets it done, all steam for all, all, all roads, I think will lead towards uh, a potential title shot with Israel Adesanya, maybe even in December, who knows, but uh, we'll see how it all pans out. But um, September the 4th looks like it's going to be, at the apex instead of the O2. And uh, while it'll be great to still see those fights, it's a shame that we're not going to be able to see them uh, here on British soil. But um, mentioned a minute ago, Sandu, no UFC event this weekend. We've got a week off from UFC. That does not mean that we can all just put our feet up and, uh, you know, wonder what we're going to do with ourselves. We've got three quite big events happening on Friday, Friday the 13th. Dun, dun, dun. We've got one championship uh, battleground two is taking place. That'll probably be sort of lunchtime ish UK time. Uh, former lightweight champ Edward landslide follow Yang taking on China's Zhang Li Peng in the main event of that. Uh, and then you've got two events in the evening. And it's a case of taking your pick really. Cause I think they're probably going to run if not in direct competition with one another, but I would imagine there'll be an overlap. You've got the PFL playoffs uh, featuring the welterweight division and a lightweight division. We'll talk about those matchups in a sec. Uh, and we've also got Bellator 264, which is what I wanted to talk to you about right now. And about the man who is really the star of the show at, at Bellator 264, a man we know very well, Gegard Masasi, is still at the top of his game, middleweight world champion, taking on American John Salter, who is another one of these perennially, uh, perennially underrated, but very, very dangerous contenders. Uh wrestling and grappling in particular. Um, he's putting his middleweight title on the line. Former welterweight champ, Andrei Koreshkov is on this card. And uh, a, 
and there will be a, a fight at bantamweight, which will probably determine the next big contender in that division. Uh, Raffian Stotts, who is an outstanding contender against arguably the best bantamweight not in the UFC, Magomed Magomedov, uh, the only man to hold a victory over PEN. So um, that's going to be a good card. But what can we say about Gegard Misasi Sandu? I mean, we've followed his career and been at a fair few of his fights over the years. He got the world championship uh, that he's been chasing on, on, on the biggest stage in terms of UFC and Bellator, got it in Bellator and uh, lost it to um, Rafael Lovato Jr. In, in, in London at Bellator 200, I think it was. He's now got the belt back and he's looking to defend it on Friday night. Sassy Musassi. Yeah, a, a good guy. Uh, you know, it was always fun kind of covering his career while he was with the UFC, especially on those European you know, events. I felt like he was always kind of like the go-to on the European circuit. If there's a European card, more often than not, Musasi was involved. And since he moved to the to Bellator, Simon, you know, he's 5-1. and one. The, the wins he's got, Alexander Shlomenko, Rafael Carvalho, Rory McDonald, Leota Machida and Douglas Lima, the one loss being the one that you mentioned, Rafael Lovato Jr. But I feel like, you know, this is the weight class for, for Gegard Musasi. You know, I know he's moved around quite a bit, but I feel like middleweight's perfect. He's only 36, Simon, which is madness. I still feel like, you know, he's got some gas left in the tank. He could still do this at a very high level for a few more years. I, you know, highly suspect that he should be winning this weekend. I would be shocked and surprised if he doesn't, it's not as if John Salter is, I guess, a scrub or anything. You know, he's been with Bellator for a while now. He's, you know, coming off a three-fight win streak. He is also 36. He also has only one loss during his Bellator run, and that is also to Rafael Lovato Jr. So they have that in common. But yeah, I feel like this is an event and a card that should be shaping up for a successful Gegard Masasi uh, title defense. And then after that, I feel like with the world opening up again, Bellator also, you know, going to towns, cities, and countries where they can pack fans again. Um, you know, Masasi is the kind of fighter that should be fighting in front of fans. Uh, I don't know what their relationship is with the Netherlands, but man, wouldn't it be fun if Masasi could go back to uh, a Dutch arena and, and fight there in front of some home fans and, you know, uh, give him a bit of a, a moment uh, before he calls time on his career. So, yeah, always fun to see Masasi. At the end of the day, Simon, regardless of what promotion he fights for, he is still one of the best. 185 pounders in the world. Yeah, he said. I think he's had like 55 career fights, which is incredible. You know, I mean, the guy is he's 36 years of age. He's had 55 career fights, and uh, I mentioned Bellator 200. He actually won the title at Bellator 200 against uh, Rafael Carvalho. Uh, I think we were both in the building for that um, Bellator 200, and he came back to London uh, the following year uh, and was. Uh, edged out via majority decision by Lovato Jr. I thought Musashi won that fight. I'll be honest with you. Um, but uh, other than that, he's been he's been pretty faultless ever since. He's got a split decision win over Leota Machida, beat Douglas Lima, who moved up to challenge him uh, at Bellator 250. And now he's got John Salter, who will provide a very different challenge to the one he faced against Douglas Lima. Salter will look to, to do what Lovato did, really, which is close the distance, take him to the mat, and uh, put him on the defensive for as long as possible. Um, over five rounds, though, I think this is this is Gegard Masasi's fight to lose. I think I think he's just a little bit too good everywhere. But if he allows himself to be taken down a bit too frequently, it could get a little bit tricky for the dream catcher. And I completely agree with you. I'd love to 
I'd love to see Gegard with a belt over his shoulder in front of the Dutch fans, whether it be in Amsterdam, uh, where I know they've been keen on trying to put an event on there, or whether it be somewhere uh, where we've seen large-scale events in the past, like Rotterdam. Um, I'd love to see that. That would be great. And uh, I'm not too sure what the uh, what the restriction uh, level is like in the Netherlands right now. Um, but that would be that would be fantastic if we could one day get over there uh, and uh, cover a, a Gegard Mousasi title defence in front of his own fans at Bellator. Because when we covered the UFC in Rotterdam a few years back, um, it was absolutely insane. It was such such good fun. I think Alistair Overeem uh, was the main event for that. Uh, Overeem. Who did that Alistair Overeem fight? I'm just trying to think who it was. Can't remember now, but it was it was it was a really really big event. Um, really great atmosphere. The Dutch fans are superb, so I'd love to see that. Um, but we'll see. He's got to get past John Salter this weekend, and uh, that card. Don't sleep on that. That that will be on uh, live on BBC iPlayer in the UK, and uh, the PFL will be running at very similar time. Let me just check out my my topology. Right, it looks as if they're running pretty much concurrently. Um, so it'd be a case of taking your pick with the PFL It is playoff season. Sandu, you're very familiar with this. having worked as part of the PFL uh, machine in the past. It is the welterweights and the lightweights in the lightweight division. You've got Cassius clay collar taking on Roush Manfio and Loic Rajabov against Alex Martinez. They are the two lightweight semifinals. And at welterweight, you've got Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper, the third. That is a huge fight. That is the main event. And then you've got Magomed, Magomed Keramov against Sadibu Sai. Uh, that is a big fight as well. Magomed Keramov um, could arguably have won the belt last year. I think injury effectively ruled him out last year. Um, he would have been, he would have been in there, but didn't quite work out for him. Sorry, not last year, the year before, because of course they were on hiatus in 2020. But um, yeah, really looking forward to that card as well. So I'm probably going to be twin screening. I'll be working on the Bellator show, um, hopefully, and uh, also keeping a close eye on those playoff fights uh, from uh, Hollywood, Florida. I didn't know there was a Hollywood in Florida, but there is. The Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino will play host to uh, all of the uh, PFL playoff fights. So, uh, yeah, this is where it really kicks off, isn't it, Sandy? When, you know, we've had the league bit. Now it's the playoffs. It's win or go home time. Yeah, so traditionally they used to do the, the fight twice in one night uh, situation with these playoffs, uh, and they've changed it, and it's just now just a one-fight semifinal. So what they used to do was they used to have quarterfinals and semifinals almost like in a one-night mini-tournament to progress to the championship, um, and that was fun, a bit of a throwback to fighting multiple times in one night, the roots of MMA and the roots of the UFC, but... It, that is also problematic, especially if uh, a fighter gets injured in the first bout of the night um, and progresses but can't compete because of an injury or something, and then you've got to get um, a substitute to to jump in, and it gets a little bit messy and a little bit hard to follow. This is a lot cleaner, just semifinals. You, you, you win, you progress for the championship on New Year's Eve and, and fight for that million-dollar check and the, and the championship belt. Uh, for me, I feel like, Ray Cooper the third versus Roy McDonald. This is the fight. This is the fight to pay attention to. I feel like the winner of this fight, Simon, will most likely go on to to win the championship. 
the only other fighter that I think's got a chance is the 2018 champion, Magomed Magomed Karimov. Um, he's going to be taking on Sadabusi. I, you know, do suspect that he'll win that fight, and he is a legitimate, you know, welterweight man. Like if he was fighting for the, you know, UFC or Bellator. He would do exceptionally well. He's that good. He's also training at ATT. So if you're looking at fights that will most likely produce uh, this year's PFL welterweight champion, those are the two bouts I'll keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who's got Magomed in their name needs to be respected. That seems to be the thing, right? And what we've got this weekend is two fighters who have Magomed in their name twice, right? So you've got Magomed, Magomed Karimov uh, in the PFL welterweight playoffs and you've got Magomed Magomedov on Bellator 264 looking to potentially book himself a shot at the Bellator bantamweight title both of them are the real deal so uh yeah looking forward to seeing how the Magomeds get on this uh this this Friday night so no UFC this weekend but as I say you've got one championship you've got the PFL playoffs and Bellator 264 loads to get stuck into and it's on a Friday so it means you've got the whole of your weekend to kick back, have some fun, reintroduce yourself to the family and uh, yeah, have a good time. So um, yeah. And I look up at how long we've been podcasting, Sandu. We've gone past an hour again. Our, our attempt to try and keep it within an hour has failed miserably as it does most weeks. Thank you to everybody for sticking with us to the end, but that's pretty much uh, everything we've got, Sandu, I think. Is that right? That's everything. Uh, everyone that needs to or what needs to wants to support us, the best place to do it. They need to, is, Sandy. They need to. They do need to. They do need to. It's the BritpackMMA.com. That's the BritpackMMA.com. Go to that website and favorite it. Put it in your bookmark so it's got you've got easy access to it. But essentially, that's the home, that's the headquarters of the Britpack show. From there, you can find us on various podcast links, Apple, Spotify, Android, you name it, all the links are there. We're available on YouTube. It's an audio-only product on YouTube at the moment. Video is coming very, very shortly. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. If you can do that, that's exactly what Apple looks at when they're trying to figure out what shows to promote in their algorithm and, and what podcasts get the love. So that's a very easy way for you to support us. So if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, literally take out 30 seconds, rate and review us, and that will be much appreciated great stuff it's been another hour and 10 minutes of uh, fighting talk with a distinctly british flavor we will be back to uh, to chat about the uh, the events of friday night one championship pfl and uh, bellator and to look ahead to the upcoming uh, the upcoming run of fights we've got ufc fight night coming up but also we've got some big fights coming down the pipe as well so maybe we'll throw forward to some of that stuff as well have a really good weekend enjoy the fights on friday and we'll be back next week. <laughs>